Okay, welcome back guys. This is podcast number four. I'm joined by Craig Seaton and I'm Chet Carson. How do you? How's things? Good, man. Yeah. yeah. How are you today? How are you feeling? I'm a little zened out. So <laughs> for guys that don't know about anything about breathwork, um, Craig teaches breathwork. I think we briefly mentioned it in the previous podcast. He teaches these classes called breathwork classes and you're basically doing holotropic breathing. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was kind of out of it after that. And usually talking after that is very difficult. So I'm going to try my best. Yeah. How was your experience today with Great, the breathwork class? Great, man. The energy was just wonderful it was just so it was strong it was a vibrant it was alive yeah. and but it was just such a smooth ending as well like i love it i love the mixture of different people everybody brings their own energy every time is unique yeah. because of that reason and yeah magic love yeah. it I'm so grateful i get to do this and to share it with people and it's a it's a gift from life man you know, i absolutely love it yeah i completely agree i think um i've definitely done a few sessions where the energy's been all over the place because of yeah. maybe one or two individuals that are a bit too intense mm. um, but it always works out when when everyone's on the same playing field or the same frequency um, you can really feel it yeah like, even noticing really, that like how great yeah. is that that you can notice oh that energy's a bit higher or it's a bit lower it's a bit quiet there yeah. it's a bit erratic or it's it's vibrant like that we're 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 functioning like um what was the word tony used before like a, a transmitter or like mm. a uh, like a radio of sorts and it yeah. can measure different levels of energy and just tuning into that and our ability to perceive and to read energy is such a great uh, skill that has really been forgotten about, I think. In, yeah, in it's definitely forgotten about. Yeah. You think how loud life is around us, isn't it? You know, music on or big colour everywhere, TV, movies. And it's like, you can't hear the little voice when the music's so loud. Hmm. So maybe that's because we're too over-reliant on sight. We're too over-reliant on one sense. So the other senses become a little less... Um, active mm. if you want to put it that way so when we rely too much on mm. sight which everything you see in life is based on how things look we tend not to listen to things feel things and uh, hear things mm. I've already said listen to things feel <laughs> things and smell things um, and I think that's what becomes maybe a, a little bit of a burden for us yeah man I think that's a perfect branch into what we want to talk today about spirituality like yeah. our because of the, the perceptions that we get from all the sensory organs, from the external world, that's why we're always looking outward. And until we have something that tweaks us into that spiritual call and it goes, oh, look inside, mm. look here, then we go, ah. So those senses that are doing such a wonderful job, they're useful to navigate life and to get through life, of course, and they bring pleasure or they can bring pain, whatever, how sharp or dull those senses can be. Um, but they're a tool of the vehicle being the body because inside is where the real magic is right yeah, yeah. and the more that we discover the inside the more you can play with the external world without the seriousness and the denseness of life is feeling life is sensation life is um, coming from around me rather than from in me and you use the world to to experience and to be joyful and to be a part of it but you're not dependent on it mm. anymore you're not dependent on the senses feedback to what your life should be about including thinking yeah I, there's a saying again by Sadhguru happiness and joy is a feeling not a destination mm. so we <laughs> a lot of people are chasing happiness and joy but most people will never get there because it's not a destination it's how you feel right now how you interpret certain things how you again you respond to certain things so it comes from that and I feel tying it in with the senses once you switch off the the main sense which is sight 
you can then start to listen to the inner voice better. Mm. So your sense of hearing becomes a lot, a lot more in tune, the same sen- sense of taste and smell just becomes way more in tune. I think once you switch off the, the sight sense, then you can really explore the inner world. Mm. Uh, we talk about dreaming of becoming an astronaut, you know, going out there in space and, and seeing the whole uh, universe, of the, sort of, well, our own galaxy, first of all, and then the rest of the stars. But 99.9% of us, or maybe more than 99.999% of us, will never get there, right? We'll never become astronauts. Um, so our journey should be more about focusing on the inside. Mm. So becoming the inner astronaut, as I say. So go inside, explore what's going on inside. And the thing is, you get to experience that every day. Mm. Whereas astronauts, they're only in space for a short period of time. So they have to process everything as soon as possible uh, and take everything in as much as possible as well. Whereas when we're focusing on the inside, whenever you want to tune into it, you go into it. Mm. So I think that's where it should start for most people. Uh, And that goes perfectly into our first topic, which is spirituality and how you got into spirituality. So Craig? Yeah, well, I think as we we went into in the first, the first pod- podcast yeah. briefly about how, how we got there and just a small recap was, wasn't in my life whatsoever, wasn't in my background, wasn't in my circle of friends. At the age of 24, I ended up going to the Buddhist Center because right. a friend invited me for, she said, let's, let's go check out meditation. And again, as I always remember and I always say, I always thought ninjas, I love ninjas, you mm. know, martial arts and stuff like that, ninjas did meditation. Yeah, okay, I'll check it out. It was Buddhism and meditation classes. I had the first meditation session and bang, big slap. I was like, whoa, right. whoa, that just felt, what was that? And that was it from 24 onwards. That was it, direction completely changed. Philosophy, religion, psychology, spirituality, um, cultures, space, universe. I always had a, an interest in space anyway, right. stars. I, I think everyone does. Oh, I, I hope so. I think definitely as a kid, yeah. that, that hunger yeah, for, for sure. it. I just, I mean, the ability to be awestruck by staring at something is the childhood uh, nature, isn't it, right? Yeah. You just look at someone and go, yep, yep, kids, kids are great at it. There's a point I want to talk about actually, is like how you lose that, what you say is, is kid-like, you know, the child, childlike nature to just be in awe to play and to not have the egos developed or the yeah, conditioning. The curiosity and everything. And for me, it was always like, you would say, oh, get those childlike qualities back. But that would also have a condition in my mind, like it's childlike, so it's lesser in a way, or it's um, not as valid as an adult experience, because it's childlike, it's playful, but actually it's not. It's like that childlike quality is a description of the quality we need to develop and to grow back because the child is in awe, the child is in the present, the child is reacting to how it feels. With the adult mind, we can, understand our responses so not just instantly reactions because we as we spoke in the other podcast yeah. self-reflection yeah but understanding that that experience is going on inside um so we can have that beautiful combination of that duality of the adult and the child so it's one thing but they're not separate or he's being childlike or he's too strict of an adult it's like use the energies to to encompass it all and that that just deepens and richens your experience of life and what we're capable of yeah. um, but to go back to where yeah meditation which led me into all those side sites I had then explored lucid dreaming that was my next uh, spiritual milestone how long were you doing that I know you still continued now yeah. still continue I remember now, when man. I bumped into you at the coffee bar mm. or coffee coffee shop last time you had your journal and that was four yeah. years Oh yeah, we looked at it, it was 2014. It was my first dream. Six years. Down. Six oh, years. Jeez. Yeah, six years. Six Meditation's years been seven to eight years. Right, okay. Um, and I'd time. either use an app or write them down in my diary. It's not always been that consistent, but it's always been a dream practice mm. in my life. Mm. 
And the second day I heard about lucid dreaming and bought a book on it. The second day I knew what lucid dreaming was, like right, never right. knew about it before, right. I had a lucid dream. And that tells me something like it was brought in your awareness, then it manifested in your life. Right. And from that point, that experience, um, there was a symbol in it. It was like a, a Buddha head that was spinning and it was lucid and I was just, just the feeling and the energy. It was like, and I felt this sprinkle going off in the center of my, my brain. Like, I was like, what was that? What was that feeling? And I woke up so much energy, so much more in love with life and for the experience I just had, which led me to go, there's more going on. It's not just the reality that we see. There's so much more going on. Um, and then it was a few months later when I went to do psychedelics, went to do mushrooms in uh, Amsterdam. Because again, scared growing up of all this stuff. You hear the horror stories, the dragons and people peel themselves and all this crazy stuff. But that's because of set setting, if it even is true anyway, you know, because it's the whole propaganda against this kind of stuff. Um, so I researched the hell out of it because if I do something, I'll go all in and figure it out first because right. I wanted to do ayahuasca. So anyway, I went there to do the mushrooms, had a small dose the first day, like one star out of five, did a ba uh, bag of mushrooms. The next day, went, got two packs of the strongest ones and smashed them uh, with a, uh, a good friend. What was the experience like? <sighs> life-changing, like it was life-changing. Um, and that put me onto the whole psychedelic path. Oh, and it was with that experience that I felt that sprinkler go off in my brain again in the, in the pineal gland. And I was like, ah, so there's a link here between the lucid dreaming state and the psychedelic mm. state, which I put the link together was the release of DMT, dimethyltryptamine, yeah. which we can stimulate through the breath work and have those transcendental experiences. So I just, yeah, this whole path, I didn't see the connection that I understand now that we, um, we can do all of this ourselves without psychedelics mm. or without the lucid dream. It's like we're capable of all these experiences. We just need to clear the pathways and break our limited conditions and understand it. Um, but yeah, I was on the psychedelics for two to three years, really got a big love and interest for those. And then I came across the breath work uh, in time of that studying all different kinds of philosophies, religions, traditions, cultures, yeah. um, Gnosticism, uh, Tantra, which now the main practice really is breath work, Tantra, meditation, right. energy work. That's, that's it for me at the minute. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's your current daily practice? Like what's your spirituality going towards and why are you trying to take it? To, to be honest, man, I think where I am right now, because I've spent a lot of time in the intellectual mind of figuring things out, learning philosophies, learning from other people, religions, and you know, having a big love for Buddhism, which put me into Hinduism and into Taoism, and I love the Eastern philosophies, which made me, I suppose, a bit resistant and ignorant at times towards Christianity. Um, I did have a massive interest in Sufism, which is an offshoot of, right. of uh, Islam. Um, it's mainly the mystical branches are the ones that don't force a certain opinion of thought mm. on you, which is why I like the Eastern philosophies, yeah. um, which you can go into definitely yeah. to, to tell us about, man. Yeah. Um, but for what it is now, it's out of the intellectual and feeling experience because I've always been in the mind and it's even with great feelings, it's, it's all about the heart and actually learning from myself now. Jay Krishnamurti, like a wonderful man. I love his teachings. He's very stern and strict, but That's he's an old great. Way of thinking, oh, isn't man, it? Yeah, yeah, but he cuts, he cuts with his he words. He does, yeah, he really and does. I think it takes a certain mind to to listen to what he has to say and to be on board of it, because it's put me in states of confusion before, but I know there's purity in it. I feel like Sadhguru is that of the modern age, but he's not as piercing because obviously the audience these days don't like things that are that kind of piercing. Mm. You know, it tells you what's what's the way, what how things are and how you are and why you are the way you are. Mm. I think it's it hurts a lot too much, so it's definitely more sensitive these days. And I think Sadhguru definitely gets the uh, the balance right. Yeah, because he does have a lovely approach. He can be, he can be 
a joking full with his words and like bring them across like mm. a, a loving granddad who is going to say, hey, stop being a knob. Mm. Uh, here's why, but do it and you go, and go, okay, fair point. You know, I get you, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Wow, yeah. other other teachers. And there's a different teacher for everyone, isn't there? It's to see which ones we, we gel with and which work for us. Um, but my main practice now, besides my, my pranayamas, my breathwork meditation is to be feeling, is to is to read my own book, the book of me and discover it now. Right. Because as Krishnamurti says, the history of mankind is in you. You know, we've all got the same brain. Yes, you, you the mind likes to tell us we're individual, but we've all got the same brain. We've all got the same body. We've yeah. all got the same systems pretty much. It's basically it's, his story. His, his story, story yeah, right? man. So it's yeah. your story. Exactly, it's us, it's all in us. And I'm really grateful to be at the point where I'm, I'll let myself learn from myself and not put it outside now. And it's not to discredit or not believe what somebody else is saying or think it's the right or the wrong way. It's like, how does it function with what I feel and what my experience is? Because that is the only way. And this is why Krishnamurti is big on the, there's no teacher, no guru, no master, no savior. It's you, you have to do the work, you have to do the understanding. And if that means you've got to go and express your anger out in a detrimental way, you will learn from it because mm. you can be told not to do that. And I suppose this is a personal one for me for my, my past repression of anger and work with it currently and, and in the past um, is you can be told not to do that and you know it's wrong. But for me, that just harbored more like resentment of my own anger. And it's mm. like, that's a feeling, man. I need to learn from it by learning how to express it um, correctly. And a lot of that was to feel anger. And it actually gave me strength. Not that I would use that anger on somebody or something, but it goes, no, let yourself have and feel the anger. Ah, I can say this or I can believe in myself or I can, um, not be persuaded by somebody else and let the whole world trample on me in a way because it's yeah. kind and passive. I've you know just had I mean? a conversation with a friend about this before the breathwork mm. class. So the emotions and the feelings you feel are completely normal. They're natural. Mm. They go in order with nature. It's how you respond to those and how you take action. Yeah, those. man, how you respond to them. Yeah. How you respond. I put a post on Instagram <laughs> which uh, just yesterday and it was a picture of the, the fall elements. It was really cool art. Somebody on Instagram was like, yeah, I like to screenshot and share these cool, yeah. cool bits of art out. And it was a uh, fire and rock and earth and air. And I just put the post that these elements are in your emotions and it's like fire, anger, or, you know, kindness and gentleness can be like the support of the earth or the water of the emotions, mm. you know, the, the stiffness of rock. And it's, uh, yeah, it's great, man. It's like that is elemental, elemental form of our experience of life, like inside us, you know? Love that stuff. But um, yeah, that's where I am spirituality-wise, mate. And let's, nice. let's dive into you. Let's hear from well, what uh, it is with you. I think we briefly, again, covered it in the first, po first podcast, mm. uh, my spiritual practice and how I got into it, just like yours. Um, and again, I'll just briefly recap it before we get into the deeper stuff. So I came from, I come from a Hindu family, a long traditional Hindu family. So we are, we're known as Vaishnavs, which basically means that we, we practice our spiritual, spirituality around the... Avatar Vishnu and certain sectors of Vaishnavas are well I think most sectors we're not supposed to eat meat fish eggs onion and garlic mm. I know there are other Hindu practices which allow um, the consumption of meat uh, and again Hinduism is very fluid it's not about what's right and wrong it's about what are the consequences of doing certain things so action and reaction uh, karma as we say mm. And uh, yeah, the karma in the Eastern tradition is completely different to karma in the West. Karma in the West is just pretty much, if you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. Karma in the East is everything you do. So everything you do in this material plane has an opposite and equal reaction. Mm. So if you do something bad to someone else, it's gonna come back to you eventually. Maybe not in this lifetime, maybe in another lifetime. Mm. So this is where the um, reincarnation goes into it. 
and you carry the karma of the previous births as well so whatever mm. you've done in your past lives you you set off on your journey in the next life from that basis so mm. and for me that was it was something that made a lot of sense because everything you do certain people start off in a better situation some certain people have disadvantages we talked about people having uh, disabilities in the last one and you know people have their circumstances but one thing you have to get straight is and what a lot of people in India do get this wrong is they may see a beggar on the street or someone who's severely disabled and doesn't have any limbs and people will just say oh that's his karma don't worry about him mm. but then when you say to him if that was your child then where's the karma there mm. you want to do everything for that person because he belongs to you and, and you have feelings attached to this person but as soon as it's someone that you don't care about it's now suddenly karma disengaged so I had moments in my spiritual practice and it, again it comes down to naivety and not fully understanding what the practice was all about mm. to be quite rebellious against it and say look if Hinduism is preaching karma then it's saying to people that, you know, it's okay if people are in bad situations, but it's not. It's saying the opposite. It's saying you can control those circumstances. Just because you are given certain tools when you're starting off doesn't mean that you can add more, doesn't mean that you can't and can't add more tools to it or take mm. tools away. And I think if you come from that framework, then it makes things a lot easier. Mm. So I, I was growing up in a Hindu family. We moved to the UK when I was three years old. I have certain memories as a childhood, so when I was three years old in India, and people ask me, maybe it's because you see pictures and photos of yourself, but I, I, we really don't have many pictures of ourselves in India. Um, so I have very vivid memories of um, living life in India, because I used to live pretty much in a farm. So surrounded by animals, buffaloes, cows, uh, oxen, a lot of dogs, a lot of cats. Yeah. So it was pretty much a very holistic lifestyle. Um, and you definitely have memories there, because if you're living life to its fullest, then you're going to have really vivid Big memories. emotional imprint. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and then I moved to the UK and we started off again in the UK. The lifestyle completely got turned upside down. We were integrated into the British culture and it was great. Like, Why I, did you come to the UK? Was your um, it's quite personal, but I'll just briefly go into it. So I don't want to go too much in depth with it. Maybe save it for another podcast. So my dad had previously come to the UK two years prior. So this was 19... 91 I think it was or maybe even uh, the latter part of 91 the early part of 92 mm. uh, and he, he just came here to, to check it out um, and he loved it here yeah. and then when he when he went back to India my father and my grandfather had a bit of a spat and uh, my, back in them days the the, the the son would still live with the parents even when he's got his wife uh-huh. for a number of years mm. just so that the wife becomes accustomed to the, the, the traditions okay. and then he'll probably move um, so my father was obviously living with his grandfather and we were all living together and yeah there was a lot of friction um, and it was coming mm. and I think my grandfather kicked my father out right. and so then we moved to the UK and, and we lived with a, a bunch of um, families here in the UK for a mm. bit and yeah so we started there moved around quite a bit I remember my early childhood we must have changed four or five times for four or five different locations in the space of about a year mm. so it was a really interesting time of just change but as a kid you don't really respond to it you just be like okay you move from one place to the next place this is life this is life and then when we got into school then it became stable so into primary school um the temple i used to go to we were very much in it with the eastern philosophy so it wasn't like i missed a huge part of my culture back in india because we had it in the uk which was perfect for us 
Um, and then as I was growing up, I started to realize that, okay, both paths are now starting to part way. Originally, they were pretty much in sync. As a child, you don't really need to focus on the deeper stuff. You just need to focus on your own spiritual practice, which is learning about your culture and your religion. And then the Western practice, which is learning about how to get through life in a way in the, in the Western world. And it wasn't much of a problem back then, but then as I started growing up, I started to realize that I was doing things out of compulsion or someone telling me what to do mm. and not really doing it out of consciousness. So when we used to have the mark on our forehead, I used to do it out of compulsion, not realizing why I was doing it. And when I used to do my daily puja, again, it was out of compulsion and not realizing why I was doing it. But so many years later, now I, I really understand it. I really understand the concept of having a sadhan, which is basically mm. your daily spiritual practice which for us was your daily puja in the morning. And uh, a puja? Yeah, so you is? kind of, um, it's mainly, it goes down the path of devotional service. Okay. So back to yoga in, in the Sanskrit term. And you, you focus your energy on God or whatever you call God, maybe the universe, mm. and you, you channel it in. So you are still practicing spirituality, but you're doing it in a more concentrated way. Mm. The reason why Hindus actually believe in having um, statues or pictures of gods is so that you can focus your energy and your mind on something. Mm. So if I say to you, focus your mind on your breath or your, your, or your prana, which is what it's known as, or you know the sense objects or how the floor feels and then how the sun's affecting your body and etc. You can focus on certain things. When you have an image, you can really concentrate and then shut everything else out. So when you know that your mind is straying, the image disappears. You bring it back to the image. Right. And your focus is just to, as soon as it strays, pull it back. I think the it's, it's interesting you say that because there are other religions, that, the Islam religion where they, yeah, have no they don't have no images of, yeah. of Muhammad. Yeah. Um, or some of the traditions, it won't have any iconography because they say it's them worship of mm. the item. Yes. But I think that can be misconstrued into, because what you're saying now, if that, um, and being an extreme discipline, disciplinarian for myself in certain areas it's to see that you can accept help and get it from things if they give you that feeling like if that um, book or that uh, like the, the antras or an image or something that helps you cultivate that feeling then mm. use it it's not to be dependent on as always yes. but it's to go this gives me that yeah. because I, I once had a a part where I was just everything so solitary and I can do this myself and I don't need anything yeah. and it's like you know, it, it did develop very strong will and discipline uh, to a point where I believe whatever I want to do, I know I will get it done right. if I really want to get and do it because I'd cultivated strong discipline. Um, but at the same time, that took me down the path of isolation and away from everything because like, I don't need anybody, I don't mm. need anything. And it made me go cold in a way to missing, and missing out on what life has to offer. Um, and to use things that are around us to, to, to use it but not be used by it like mm. make the energy exchange fair um, but but use it so like if those images help bring it in get the feel of it like mantra you know yeah. mantras help they still the mind uh, an image helps it gives you the feeling like yeah sure. plus we have like 5,000 years of traditions mm. so some of the stuff that our culture was doing back then it's stood the test of time mm. and it's very important so we have a ceremony called the Abhishek which is basically the bathing of an idol um, and they use the five purest substances, which is uh, milk, honey, ghee, sugar, and there's one more, yogurt. Mm. And they bathe the idol with that. Um, it's an amazing, powerful ceremony. There's videos on it on YouTube, you can check it out. 
And uh, it's one of those moments where when you witness it, you definitely feel present. You know, you feel like you're right there and, you're, mm-hmm. and your practice is definitely taken up a notch. Um, and it's something that we always did. So we, we obviously had these ceremonies every year on an anniversary of a temple. There's, te- there's like eight temples that we visit in the, across the UK. There's three, or there's actually more than that. There's, I think there's about five in London, um, one in Cardiff, one in Oldham, one in Bolton. Um, and that's the eight temples. So yeah, we were really connected and we were connected to the other people from the same uh, community back in London and then across the UK as well. So we definitely had a very tight community. Um, and then when I get got into my teenage years, then I just started to notice that there was politics kicking in. You know, religion always has politics. Any belief system has politics. Um, and Do you think that's required? I That's why I got turned away from it. So when the politics were there, I was like, you know, this isn't about spiritual practice anymore. This is about who's got the biggest, you know, who's got the biggest amount of money or who's got the biggest power or say on in the whole thing and I was like this is not what I feel I feel like this should be very individual and again it's based on different communities so if you look at the Hare Krishnas uh, they have their politics but their their culture is centered around individualism so how the practice works serves you and it serves your family or your friends whereas ours was a bit more about how to make everything grandiose how to make everything bigger mm. um, and again Hinduism's always been about that because the whole of our scriptures are based on these epic battles and just drama so it, I feel like I didn't really resonate with that I wanted things to just be based on the individual what are you experiencing um, yeah you'll have your flaws and you have your strengths but it doesn't mean I should come along and say you should be doing this and you should be doing that and I felt like it was going down that way and I felt like over the last maybe 30 years 40 years because of the insecurity of other religions Hinduism has become the same so now people have their own sort of belief systems and they're very rigid about what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe so when I was growing up we were told what to believe and what not to believe and and again it, it cultivated this environment inside of me where I just, it didn't resonate with me. Mm. It's just a lot of dissonance in the body. Um, so I rebelled, was against it for at least about five years of my life. I didn't really care about it. So were you doing anything in those five years? I was still visiting temple and I was still participating, but I wasn't active. Yeah. It was passively participating. Just going there, doing my little bit and going home. Like I going s- to church on a Sunday yeah. and just sat there yeah. because you're told to do it. Exactly. And people are doing it because they think it'll get them somewhere. Or yeah. Or it's, to share, it's the other thing where you know you've got a community of people, which means you belong mm. to a family. So people are not willing to let go of that family. Even though they may, ha- may have squabbles and have a lot of friction with the people there, they know that. If they're out of that, they're alone. Yeah. And I was happy with that. So it took a, a, many years for me to get to that stage where I felt if I was out of it, I was completely happy. This is where I am right now. But also now I feel like I can integrate back into it with not having any attachment to it, right. which is where you want to be healthily. Mm. You know, to be, you, are you accepted back for doing that? Or is it like... Oh. I was never thrown out. <laughs> so I just got myself out of the, the situation. And then whenever I go back, you know, it's perfect. Nice. It's fine. That's lovely. Um, and yeah, the guys that I, I've grown up with, you know, they've, a lot of them don't know what's happened, but the ones that are close to me understand the process. And a lot of them have kind of experienced a similar, a similar thing in their lives. So yeah, that happened. But the funny thing was I never got into like the typical stuff. So I never got into drugs, never got into alcohol. And, you know, I was fortunate that I still had my basic Dharma. So I wanted to make sure that I was, I was following my five sort of protocols, which is basically um, not to, not to steal, not to commit adultery. I'm still young for that. Um, 
not to intoxicate oneself, you know, to a level where you start causing problems in your life, uh, not to commit suicide, and the final one was not to gamble. But then gambling is a funny one because I really enjoyed doing things that were based on seeking adrenaline. Mm. You know, just being an adrenaline junkie, and I thought maybe is that gambling life? So I don't know. Then I first thought, well, if I'm driving my car and one day. I get into a crash. That's kind of gambling Good as well. To see it, man. Yeah, so it's. I feel like it's very nuanced, but I think there were people in the community were putting people into brackets and saying this is right and this is wrong. Mm. So this is gambling where you go out there and you use your money and you spend it in irresponsible ways, which is fair enough. You know, if you spend it in an irresponsible way, mm. then you're gambling. But at the same time, every time you cross the street, um, that's a gamble. Mm. You know, there's a chance that you might get run over. So mm. life's Depending a gamble. On your balance on it. It's like it's funny because thinking, oh, I've done all of those things right. except for suicide. <laughs> I've done all of them, but yeah. that. And um, you know, it's just always so interesting that you can be told these things, and you can still go against them or do them, but you have to trust your own path, don't mm. you? And and it's funny because we're so dependent on other people uh, until we become adults ourselves. And even when we're adults, it can still take a, a lifetime or yeah. uh, never until we realize it, I'm responsible for myself and I can have my own experiences and pave my own way. Like, um, but I love it, I love it. I love that those things served you for not doing them. Mm. Um, and maybe the gambling, depending on how you see it. And I agree, man, it's a great way to say that. If I'm racing the car, I'll go fast. Yeah. I was gambling. So it's to see that the surface level of the word is, the reason why we told those things because they go deeper than yes. don't drink. Well, what's saying it's don't drink? It's don't get intoxicated because something bad can happen. You could combine that with the gambling in the car, Lose run someone yeah, over yeah. and ruin a life. And yeah. you know, that's your karma then that you've brought on. And yeah, it's great, man. It's great. Yeah, so I felt the teachings were very surface level. So they were very much allowed to be interpreted in whatever way you wanted to see right. fit. But they were teaching the kids in a way that was very rigid. You know, like you have to think it, it's this and this and that. And I was like, that's great. But then again, you, these kids will experiment. The mm. life that we live in, you're going to experiment. Western world. And Western world and everything. And I definitely, I agree with what you said before. The best way you learn in life and the best way to cultivate your spirituality is through experience. Try everything out. Yeah, to a certain degree, not saying try and commit suicide, but try everything out to a reasonable level on a conscious way mm. and then see if it serves you. If it doesn't serve you, then you got your answer. If it serves you, then yeah, continue doing it until it doesn't serve you. Yeah, man. I had a, a friend and he, a great lad, and he was kind of getting on the spiritual path and he was young as well and bright mind and yeah. then, uh, a big heart and he was figuring things out and he, he discovered a few experiences. He's like, I want to try more experience because he was talking about getting into psychedelics at the time. Right. And I was like, well, if you're at the point where that's required then fine do it safely and understand what you're doing it for but if you're doing it just to do it is that enough reason um because he's talking about doing coke he's like oh, i want to try cocaine because he'd never done drugs and he was from a, a, a muslim background as right. well and maybe that was a backlash because they were told these things um and my advice at that point was like you're not going to get much good from that experience yeah you know? and i tried to persuade in in the way because you still got to be open like if that person's going that way for me, it was like, do my best to say, listen, you won't get, I can't see much benefit coming from, I've done it myself. And for me, it was never really, for me, that kind of drug, it made me, it wasn't myself. I didn't feel good as I was doing it. But again, it's different medicine for different people. Yeah. But there's certain things or energy that, can can we give guidance and advice, but not be controlling for somebody? Because at the end of the day, they will have to figure things out for themselves. And Sadhguru, he said once in his one of his talks was that, the best way to learn about life is your own experience 
the smartest way to learn is listen to guidance from somebody else. And if that scratches the itch, great, because a lot of things I've learned so much from other people, but sometimes, even if it's been detrimental, I've had to go and do it. And yeah. I've learned that way yeah. because you're no longer in your back of your mind. Like I read something really good. It was towards Brahmacharya actually. And it was um, a talk from Tantra and Brahmacharya, which is something we're, we're definitely going to get into. Um, and it's this book I'm reading on uh, sexual energy and yoga. And right. this woman says it, she was yeah from Eastern Europe and her tradition towards it was like a Catholic upbringing. And her backlash was that she was told to stay away from sex and abstain. But her point was, how can I give something up that I've never had? Mm. And I was like, wow, I love that. Right, I love right, that a right, lot. Right. Um, how can you give it up when you don't know it in and out? Now, maybe this past life's like, it's interesting for you not, not drinking, yeah. you know, because that could have been past life stuff that you've done before yeah. or you're not pulled to that experience. So. I think it's from that. I think it's mm. more to do with the fact that maybe in a previous life or previous lifetime, you've done it. And then, you know, deep down inside, you might try it out. And then mm. as soon as you try it out, you think, actually, you know what? I, this doesn't feel like I want to continue, continue, yeah. continue pursuing it. And then you think, okay, and maybe I don't need to follow that path. That's it, man. It's like that, that knowing in yourself, whether we, I mean, we don't even need to go into the past lives for, for other people's, whether it's in their belief system or not. Yeah. It can just be, it's as simple as, that's not for me. Yeah. You know, I tried it yeah. or you're not even pulled to do it. And everyone's yeah. like, come on, come and try this. And you're like, I just don't feel the need to. Yeah, I think that that was my relationship with alcohol because I had a lot of friends that were drinking and stuff and they were saying to me, you know, you should try it out. And I was like, to be fair, mate, I just don't see the point of it. I don't see the point of trying something, tasting something that doesn't taste very nice in the first place. Yeah. I'd rather stick with Vimto or Ribena, <laughs> you know, and at least- the Strong stuff. Yeah. No water. <laughs> exactly. Just the concentrate. <laughs> I think I need to put that camera back on. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, we're good. I wanted to talk about the monk experience as well. So like I mentioned in the first podcast, um, we were surrounded by monks. So every, it was about every four to six weeks, uh, we would get a visit from seven monks. So there are different monks like there's How do you describe it? Um, there's like groups of monks that belong to sort of one leader in the sector of Hinduism. So you'll have the Pope monk and then he'll have other smaller groups. The Pope monk. Yeah, but basically the equivalent What's of the Pope. What's the Pope monk? What's the name he's of that? The main, we call it a, a Mahan Swami. So, Mahan Swami. Yeah, so he's the Mahant Swami. What does Swami actually mean? Um, guru in a way. Guru. I think the best way to describe it is a guru or an aesthetic. And or, guru is, is it like light in the darkness or so, someone who's, who's lit? Is that yeah, ghost? someone who's a, awakened in right. a way. So a, a teacher basically, a guru means teacher. And it's either, Swami either means a guru or ascetic, someone who's practicing um, a path that's from, it's, how do we describe it? It's, it's not the traditional path, it's a path of just devotional service and cultivating themselves. Mm. So, yeah, so we would have the Mahant Swami, which is the main leader, which is basically the Pope, and then he'll have his own smaller pockets, his smaller little leaders around, mm. and then they'll have their own disciples. Um, and we would get visited by one pocket every seven weeks or six to seven weeks. So we were getting teachings left, right, center. But the issue with that was, again, you're in that environment where you don't know any different. Mm. So it's like, you're saying this stuff to me, but you've never experienced the Western culture. So how can you tell me not to, you know, go out there and sleep with women or do this and that when you've never experienced it but as I've gotten older I've started to realise that they actually know more than we do yeah, like yeah. from what 5,000 years of history have said for, for India they know that the way to go about it is to find one person ideally and then not even have sex with them until I get the whole concept of sex 
after marriage, not before marriage. I, I get fully understand it now. So, um, in what sense does that? So it was about there are four stages in life that you you tend to take. So the first one is the Brahmacharya Ashram. They're known as ashrams. So Brahmacharya Ashram basically means that from the ages of zero to 21, maybe pushing it up to about 24, 25, depending on if whether you're doing a master's or a PhD, you stay, as a, it's known as a student ashram. So you're a student, you're learning, your level of learning is much higher. In that period of time, we know that from studies, Western studies that uh, we tend to learn and pick up things a lot quicker when mm, we're younger. Sponge. Yes, we literally absorb everything. Kids learn through mimicry. So the rate that we learn is a lot quicker than it'll ever be throughout our lives after that. Mm. So you want to try and cultivate and, and learn as much as possible in that period. Take advantage of that. Exactly. I think at this point, man, as well, if you just explain what Brahmacharya means. Um, it's something we'll go into in the future. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, sure. So Brahmacharya, is, there's many meanings to it. Uh, and again, it's something that Sadhguru specifically said which made me think okay that's a really interesting way of saying it so brahmacharya for most people is they assume it's celibacy but the way Sadhguru defines it is celibacy is is what celibacy's relationship with brahmacharya is what twisting your body and bending your body is, is to yoga mm. so it's not that it's just one that's aspect of it. it yeah um, but the whole purpose of brahmacharya is you it's known as a student path the path of the bachelor, which is basically you you learn as much as possible and you save the energy for yourself, mm. for growth, self-actualization, self-realization. And then once you're, you've got enough sort of vigor and you know, you're pretty much certain of what you want to focus mm. on. And your devotion's cultivated. Yes. It's the path, the path to God, right? Is it Brahma? Abrama Brahmacharya is, is Brahman is the actual uh, universe. Yes. And Acharya basically means ultimate so right. it's the ultimate, ultimate path, path. Um, and that's the literal definition of it and it's the path of spirituality mm. just staying on the right path it's the path that supposedly the universe wants you to go down but most people are never on it until eventually they'll take a birth where they because we've got those sensory organs yeah right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, conditioning. we're conditioned to just seek uh, temporary pleasures mm. and it's said that yogis are not against um, you know simple pleasures they're just for spiritual pleasures. Mm. You know, they see that spiritual pleasures are way more interesting and more deeper and more meaningful than mm. the sort of simple pleasures. Yeah, I think looking at how, when they come around, like the spiritual pleasures and, you know, from, from my own life and being having my own addictions and stuck into my own habits of the past and thinking, oh, this is great, this mm. is good, I'll go do that thing, I'll, you know, and you get stuck on all kinds of things. But then when finding something which was spiritual to me was that's it that's mm. what I want to be feeling like we had a conversation with one of the participants today yeah. after breath work yeah, yeah. and he was like I'm going so fast and how because he wants that and he wants that, that experience again Yeah. Um, you know which again there's a lot to learn in that but he's found something greater yeah. than what he was getting from something For outside sure. of that so it's a stepping stone yeah way. it's knowing that ah I'm done with these sensorial pleasures now because I know whether it's um, for me, it was drugs and sex and food, like big addictions came from these things. And it was yeah. like, because they would hit a certain pleasure, but it's never fully fulfilling because it comes back. Ah, I want sex again. Ah, I want that food yes. again. I want that smoke yes. a joint again. Like yeah. never finished. And yes, there's pleasure there. And all those things can be cultivated in the right way. It's never the thing that's the addiction. It's you that's addicted to yeah. the, the, the feeling of it. Um, because you can use anything constructively. It's mm. like they say with guns, 
well, guns don't fire themselves. It's the person who pulls yes. the trigger, right? Yeah. Um, but when those energies were directed towards something that's taking me to a greater level of existence, for me, truth is a big thing and spiritual connection is a big thing. Um, and being able to convert like drugs, using the psychedelics for the deeper experience, yeah. uh, using sex for tantra and retaining the semen and building energy up, like those two things were things I had very strong addictions to that had no direction to take me to the ocean. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? They were just like the river that would end up hitting a dam or it would leak out and it wouldn't go anywhere. It's like remove the blocks and let those those vehicles take you to the ocean because they yeah. can and that's crafting spirituality in the everyday life. Which also showed me that my aversions and my addictions actually had purpose. Yeah. I was just using them wrong. And when I realized that, it's like, ah, I'm not fucked up. I'm not stuck on these problems or these guilts or these shames that have plagued me in the past. It was just, I didn't know how to use these tools correctly. Mm. And that gave me a lot of sense of freedom, yet enhanced my spirituality because they were part of my path. I just didn't know how to use them correctly. And that was like, yes. Yeah, I was happy with myself for that. You know, it's like thank you for the understanding of of showing me these things. Again, it comes back to experiencing everything. So mm. you do it, you see whether it works for you, and eventually, if it doesn't serve you, get rid of it, yeah. cut it out. But most people will never do that because they know nothing more than that. Yes, we're not learning we're not from le the same exactly, mistake again exactly. and again and again. Like it's just what you're doing. It yeah. no, we're just not learning. Exactly. We're not learning. We're yeah. not aware. Of There's always a lesson to learn from everything. So every single situation I've been in, I can tell you multiple times that I've been knocked down then I have to get back up again and there's one thing that's always kept me in check which is having the optimistic outlook in life knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel all the time so I think I got through life and I went through my little depression period from the ages in my teenage years to early 20s um, so I had to get through that and that really cultivated my spirituality to finally understand that that period of time was a period of just sadness, trauma, etc. But it was a huge period of time for growth mm. to understand it in that yeah. way. And it was that was the biggest thing. I learned more from that period than I've ever done since then, uh, especially for a, a large chunk of time. So going back to the ashrams, so we have the Brahmachari ashram. We'll talk about Brahmachari in a future podcast mm. uh, in more depth. But there's the Brahmachari ashram, which is basically the ashram for the student. You cultivate that energy, you keep it within. Ideally, you don't want to expel that energy. So when you let's say when you're dating someone or you've got your attention on someone, you are now giving that energy out to someone else. Mm. So you wanna be cultivating that energy. And that's why they say, when you're in the Brahmacharya Ashram, you ideally shouldn't be looking for someone. Mm. You shouldn't be looking for someone that's your partner or a girlfriend, etc. You should be focusing on yourself. Yes, life happens, circumstances happen, things, people come to you and that's okay, but actively looking. I think for me, it's not to be actively seeking it. Yeah, mm. have it in the back of your mind. If you find someone that's amazing and you, coincide with them then great get to know them but don't go out there actively looking yeah. um, you want to cultivate that energy for yourself to develop you as a person and then you move on to the uh, the grust ashram which is basically the householder so this is when you're married and then now you, you've got a base you've done well in your in your career so now you've got pretty much got a base where you can create your own family so you've got the grust ashram and then it moves on to the Oh, uh, God, I forgot it. <laughs> but I forgot the term of it, but it basically means the sort of semi-retired ashram. Yeah. So this is where you're in your later 50s and, you know, you've, your kids have started to have their own kids. So now you're you're pretty much prepared to give up. So this is where you start becoming celibate again. So you no longer mm. have sex with your partner or your wife anymore. And then the final one is you rel relinquish everything. 
So you give everything up, uh, and it's known as the Barnaprust Ashram. Uh, sorry, I missed the middle one. I can't remember what it's called. But this mm. one, this final one, is where in the past what would happen in India is the the couple that are, that are now in their sixties and the seventies would give up their name, their title, everything, relinquish it, give it to the the sons and the grandsons, etc., and then they would move into the forest. So this was done in the last age, you know. There was a community in the forest where yes. they lived, right? Well, and you would live on your own, actually. You okay. live, yeah, you and your wife would live on your own, maybe in a small house, and you almost become a... Um, a hermit. hermit, yeah. Basically, you live as a hermit. Uh, you don't identify yourself as a person you were before. Mm. So I'm no longer a businessman. I'm no longer this spiritual master, etc. You are just you. Mm. And then we have the extended uh, position, which is... Or the side position, which is you, you become a, uh, a sannyasi which is the one that renounces his his uh, material world. So you become a sage or a swami or a guru. Mm. And that ashram is completely different to the other one. So if you're on that path, the other ones don't matter to you because mm. you're no longer looking for a life partner. Your practice is based on spirituality and self-growth and realization as well, oh, self-realization. It makes my heart come alive, man. I yeah. love doing this stuff. Like, there's, there's a big pull for me personally to to be at that point. And yeah, you know, let's a, talk about that actually. It's quite a bit of a conflict at a point after getting into Buddhism. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot of, loads of retreats like, and it wasn't just, it was no, never surface level for me. Like, oh, go to retreat to see. I mean, I went in deep, I loved it. Like I just connected with it straight yeah. away, especially Tibetan Buddhism. It was like, and I've had certain experiences like watching old uh, documentaries or being in places in China, like seeing certain iconography and it just, something happens like I've just cried before mm. I've just cried and I felt something like, and I can't explain it. it's just something knows something right and it's just anything I think where we have those natural pulls towards for the most bizarre reasons again there's nothing in my history yeah. like my, my personal history of this life that's like that's why you like that or that's why you feel that way you know um, so I was always attracted to Tibetan Buddhism but always had a big love for the East and, and Taoism and uh, Hinduism and to a certain degree you wanted to go off and be a monk for a bit well this was where a conflict came for me at a point because I'd studied so much doing these different kinds of retreats and spending time at, a lot of time at Sami Ling which is a a Tibetan temple in Scotland which right. is fantastic yeah. I love the place and uh, and yeah my own study my own disciplines and practices but yeah there came a point where I just wanted to go to India and just get in a monastery and stay there and or Thailand and I was looking at it seriously like right save up the money get away mm. there was a retreat in Scotland which was a year I think it cost something like it wasn't mega it was like 12 grand or something you pay that and you're there for a year mm. with like five other people and right even now, I would love to do it. This apartment, he still wants to do it. It's just a case of the conflict came when about like, should I go or should I stay or should I go or should I stay? And I have a, a teacher who's very helpful and very beneficial. And he's saying like, see through whether it's the ego that wants to go or whether it's, you know, something that you'll benefit from and be able to share back. And I concluded after months of like deliberating with myself and talking it out that I thought, okay, I can let go of it because there was a joy in my life where I'm very happy where I am right. and I'm learning enough to keep feeding that side of me. And yeah. a lot of it was bringing that practice of what you're saying, that, that the, the older age into my life now and still being with the world, but bringing that practice out and, and living it. And that's, that's where I get my joy from is my dedication to the spiritual side yeah. because it's not effort. There's no effort for that. It's actually harder. It's more effort for me to go on, out and socialize and to be a part of the world than it is for me to want to sit and meditate and breathe or have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. And We have a term for that in Sanskrit called Viragya. Mm. So you live your life as a monk in this life 
but you just don't uh, renounce your material world. Mm. You you still participate in it, but you viragya d- translates to having no color, so you don't have any sort mm. of uh, attachment to what's happening around you. You stay detached, and you still cultivate the life of a monk. You know, you still practice your spirituality. But you do it in front of, which is a harder path to do it whilst you're involved in everything. Well, that was a big point of what one of my teachers helped me realize as well. Is like, I'm born in Manchester, you know, and I've never been one for holidays. Right. Like, it's always been a thing with with partners or girlfriends. They're also, it's gone holiday and holiday, and, mm. and they love to. And don't get me wrong, holidays are amazing. I've been to Japan, been to China, and they were actually more study based. They weren't for a holiday. Because when we go to a holiday, we generally go, right, we're shutting off the conscious mind, we're yes. going to drink, we're going to party, we're going to... Never for me that really stuff, other than when I was younger until I got to meditation. Um, because if I'm going away, I'm paying some money, I yeah. want to develop something from it. Like, I want to go to a place where it feeds me spiritually. Um, yeah, you want to cultivate an experience. Yeah, man. Yeah. But being in, in Manchester, it's like, I'm here for a reason. You know, I'm up in Manchester and I have these mad interests which could easily take me to Thailand mm. or to Tibet or to China or to India and stay there. But I am happy here and I'm very fortunate that the people I connect to or, or what people, you know, un- understand through conversation or what we have, it's like, this is right and this podcast is right and what the information we can share is right mm. and never in a sense of live this way or that way. But the West, we are, there's a spiritual re-emergence coming on. Like we can see it all around yeah, and witnessing yeah. that over the last uh, seven years, I suppose, of my life and when it tweaked and seeing people grow and people who were the exact opposite. The, and I know it and I know people who were the exact opposite and something happened and they're like, right, I can understand love or, or they understand energy healing or they understand um, concepts of meditation or spirituality or they see the habits and problems that were developed and were not leading them anywhere. And it's like, right. I want to spread that. I want to be a part of getting that message out there and helping, not pushing it, yeah. not being the preacher in the street who's like, come to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. And you know, because that doesn't work. And I tried that route at a point, really? shouting and ringing the bell, really? not literally with a megaphone, but you know, right, like right, right. being quite preaching my beliefs and my okay. thoughts because I benefited so much. So you will, you know, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, while when you accept your path and you're doing the best you can with yourself, other people see it and feel it and they will frequency, right? And this is where the science of energy and vibration comes into who we are and what we are is you will attract them people. Like when we met, what, three years ago for that one time? Oh yeah. You know, we met that one time based on the past partner, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that was it. And we didn't see each other again until earlier this, uh, in 2019 at Jim yeah. and Juice. And then we're working at Block together. And now we're doing this podcast. It's like, there's too many connections and things going on that show me that you're supposed to be doing these things. Yeah. Just follow your heart, follow the, the breadcrumbs of energy that fill you up, that make you feel a 10, that make you feel alive, and your life will become that. Well, you did say that back then you tried to do a podcast with multiple other people, but it just wasn't flowing. Mm. Whereas when we started having these conversations at coffee uh, shops and stuff, it was just like, I, I said to you, it's funny how we don't have a camera rolling here, but we could have done easily. Because yeah. the type of conversations we're having, each conversation we have is different to the previous one and it kind of interlinks between the next conversation as well. Yeah. So I think you just have to find, I've always been a lone wolf in this. Same. And I feel like when you're on this path on your own, cause you know that the rest of the people around you are not on that path and it's okay for them not to be on that path. Hmm. But the fact that you're doing it yourself, it, beca- it can become very lonely and lonesome sometimes. Mm. So you feel like you're a lone wolf and I've always felt like that and I was, to a certain degree, I come to terms with that. And I said, if I don't find anyone who's like me, I'm okay with that. You know, I can live with that. 
So, uh, and as soon as you feel that, you actually attract people who are like you. Mm. So that's how I guess you and I were, were kind of, we were put on the right path to meet each other. Um, and yeah, and, and I just find it really fascinating how now when you're in the vicinity of people who think in a similar way, you feel finally at home, yeah. you belong somewhere. Yeah. This is why you, you don't necessarily have to have the drive to go off to be a monk. Um, but then again, for me, it's something that's always been presented to me. Mm. I've had three times I can remember in the past, over the last 10 years, where a monk from my community has said to me, you know, you should try this path out. Mm. Maybe just even try it out for a couple of weeks or something. And I've got a good friend of mine who hopefully will bring on the podcast when he's free. Um, he tried it out. He went to be a monk for a bit. He did, I think the first time he did three months and then six months and then an entire year, mm. just going out there and living with the monks and shadowing a life of a monk. And from, I think his last journal, when he did it, he actually recorded all the amazing experiences that he had. And I was just like, wow. I, was, I, I literally fell in love with the experiences that he was having. So, and it's sometimes for some people, it's a scratch that needs to be itched. Yeah. You know, I think maybe you just need to do it and see how it is for you. And if it doesn't resonate with you, great. You come back and you take the teachings that you've learned and you try and share it with as many people as possible. Yeah, man. I think it's, it is in me and I will do it. And I know I will do it. So. I say jokingly, I won't come back, do you know what I mean? But I know I would, it's like, I would just go and I would love it so much. Because yeah. every time I go to a retreat, I'm doing the 10 day silent retreat where no one's talking for 10 days and mm. you get the, the Dharma, the teaching at the evening at eight o'clock and you have two meals and it's like, I'm home. You know what I mean? I loved it, absolutely loved it. But if I'm there doing that, who am I helping here? Yeah. You know, what, what conversations are we out sharing or yeah. where are we in block doing the breath work or doing the movements? Even when it was personal training, still physically yeah. helping and I get joy from, from doing that job too. And it's like, everything wins from that. So it's, it's, it's the balance, isn't it? It's like, I'll go and do that. I think I'll definitely do a month. Like that won't ever be an issue. We'll do a month somewhere. I'd like to do three months and then, okay, come back now, you know, and keep it at that point. Yeah. And then when the time's right, when I'm older or however my life is, I always see retirement as renunciation. Off. So yeah, that ashram that I just said, the final ashram, yeah, the banner that's, that's where I envision myself. I've dying. always felt that. So we've had conversations about this in, my, in the temple that I used to go to. Um, and we used to do presentations as the youth. Mm. And one of the presentations was, and the debate was, is that final ashram applicable to the modern day society mm. and my argument was it is it just means that you you don't obviously you don't have to move into the forest but you give up everything that you have you give that to your kids and your your children and etc and then the people that you love and then you move on and then you take a path of just focusing on your spirituality before you mm. finally die i think that for me is a very organic way of living and it's something that just because we're caught up in in the day-to-day -day chase we're not even considering that. So, and I think that's the battery dead. <laughs> um, these two cameras are running. What time are we on? We're on 54 minutes. Um, do you want to keep going? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll yeah. let it finish out. Right, let me just put Get the camera back five on. or 10 minutes. We're back again. The camera cut out again. Okay, what were we saying? Um, you were just saying about the renunciation when you've hit a certain point of old age. Yeah, modern day renunciation. Yes, it's yeah. not learning modern I, day. I think we should definitely, it's a path that we should follow. I think once you're retired, we're already doing that. You know, once you've retired, you've collected your pension, what are you doing with that money? Mm -hmm. Well, you're sat at home, enjoying your life, having experiences. Well, why don't you cultivate a spiritual practice? Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you're already on that path, it's the time to really cultivate that practice. Um, and I think that is the, the, the true way of going going out with a bank I guess but not even a bank it's just like you're going out silently mm. tonight so yeah 
This is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And with a whimper, like, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if that was T.S. Eliot, maybe, but... Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Like, yeah, I agree with that. I think it should end with a whimper, not with a bang. Just <laughs> Some people will go out with a bang, oh, yeah. you know, and that's fine. But then for most people, it, the path is to go out with, you know, a bit more solemn, a bit more mm. focus. Um, yeah, right. I think we want to wrap this up now yeah man wonderful conversation really yeah. enjoyed this one this is the one that we really wanted yeah, right we wanted to have a conversation like this that's it I think as we're going into it we want to cover topics that cover so much but it's, it's the essence of spirituality and consciousness and, and, and life itself right that we really love and that yeah. we're really passionate about and there's way more for this I think this is spirituality part one there's more yeah. I want to get into in beliefs about God our universe I was just going to say that the next yeah. couple of podcasts it'd be nice to cover Brahmacharya and sexual tantra yeah. and then go into God what God is for people um, and yeah and then the size of the universe and the and the rest of the topics yeah. I'm looking forward to those for sure it's right fine, so this was podcast number four and we've just wrapped up hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, again we're going to try and put this on Spotify so hopefully the first, first one is already on there by the time we put this one on. Uh, we'll put the other two on there as well. And hopefully you guys can listen to this on Spotify. SoundCloud as well. SoundCloud, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think we'll put We're it on SoundCloud. SoundCloud as well. And then you guys can always check it out on YouTube. Yeah. Um, right. We're Please, done. Yeah, give it a like and a share, guys. And comment anything for us. We'd love to hear from what you say and what your opinions on these are. And yeah. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of good feedback yeah, on the first podcast yeah we got it from strangers as well yeah. so it'd be nice if you guys could tell us what you like about yes. the podcast and maybe something that you would like us to change or maybe something that you would like to like us to cover as yeah. well that helps us you know you're helping us by doing by speaking out and giving us a bit of direction from your side too yeah so right perfect. a lot of love to you all right we'll see you in the next one